Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning, Israel. But you've never been addressed that way. Yes, I mean you. Yeah, you. God's people. True Israel, which if you read the Bible, that's what true Israel is. The believers in the one true God. And scripture often compares God's people to a vineyard, as you heard this morning. God himself, speaking through the prophet Isaiah, tells us in Isaiah 5, 7, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant planting. And Jesus picks up on this comparison in his parable for today. When he speaks of a vineyard, automatically uh, the people in his audience would have said, oh, I think I know where he's going with this. And he reflects Isaiah's point that God deeply cares for his people, deeply. So he tends and nurtures his vineyard. He does everything necessary for the vineyard to produce fruit. But unlike Isaiah's text from this morning, Jesus does not focus on on the people of Israel and their unfruitfulness, but rather its wicked leaders. And you guys know the history of Israel. Often in the history of God's people, the leaders think that the people belong to them and not to God. That's a problem. People belong to them and not to God. Wicked kings and members of their courts are at the heart of the problem, but false prophets And unfaithful religious officials make things difficult too. By the time of Jesus, it's the scribes, the chief priests, the Sadducees, and of course the Pharisees. Yes, Israel's corrupt leadership has a sordid history of not only thinking that God's people belong to them and not God, but rejecting those whom God sends to them to remind those in charge that God's people indeed do belong to him. And God graciously sends messengers time and again, time and again, to turn people back to God calling for repentance and faith. And at the time of Jesus, these messengers that are spoken of in the parable would have been the messengers of the Old Testament, the prophets of the Old Testament, those who came to deliver God's word to God's people before Jesus came. And as you heard from Christ in the parable today, those messengers, more often than not, are not received well, especially by those in charge. God's messengers suffer many things. The author to the Hebrews says they suffer mocking and flogging, chains and imprisonment. Some die by stoning. Some were sawed in half. Others were killed with the sword. They went around in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, oppressed, mistreated. Right? By the leaders of God's people. This is who he's talking about. Oh, my. So Jesus brazenly speaks that truth to the Pharisees. He describes the history of God, of God's people, and the people's leaders in the following way. There was a master of the house. That's God. All right? Master of the house is God. Who planted a vineyard. His people and put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, built a tower, leased it to tenants, leased it to tenants, uh, to the leaders of God's people and went into another country. 
When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants, the prophets, to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants, beat one, killed another, stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first. And they did the same to them. This is the history. The sordid history of God's people. Eventually, God sends somebody to them even more important than the prophets. He sends his son. Faithful Israel reduced to one, right? True God and true man as its savior. And Jesus tells his audience when he tells this parable, the current truth, this truth, who he is. But he also talks about God's people and the people's wicked leaders. So in the parable, Jesus phrases it this way. Finally, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. But that when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him and have his inheritance, right? Doesn't really belong to him. It belongs to us, as I've been telling you. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. It's amazing to me. That Jesus is describing events that are happening in time and that are soon to take place. Three days, three days after Jesus speaks this parable, it comes to fruition. The religious elite arrest Jesus, bring false charges against him, demand that the Romans crucify him, and nearly begin a riot if those demands are not met. Nothing but his death will satiate those who believe that God's kingdom, God's people under God's reign, are theirs. Certainly not under God's reign and certainly not under Christ's reign. If you know your history, you are doomed to make the mistakes of history, doomed to repeat them. Even as Jesus is describing what's going to happen, Did those who heard his word get it? They did not. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, Jesus asks, what will he do to those tenants? And they said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. The Pharisees recognized the grievous sin in the parable. They recognize it but not in themselves. How often are we the same way? They fail to recognize that the son in the parable is Jesus. They are the murderous tenants in the vineyard. And so Jesus tells them plainly about their rejection of him and what it means. And he quotes from Psalm uh, 118. Have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And this was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, he tells them, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. If you do not know your history, you're doomed to make the mistakes, repeat the mistakes of history. As Israel's wicked leaders often do, those hearing Christ's word that day will reject the Son of God sent to them and sent for them. They will treat him shamefully. And yes, they will kill him, just as Jesus said. 
The deal is, Jesus isn't like other prophets. You can't just get rid of him. You can't just silence him. You can't usurp his kingdom and dethrone him even. For he is the Lord, the promised everlasting king. Even if he were to die, which he did, that is not the end. We know what happened. He died and is buried, dies by the hands of those wicked leaders of Israel, and he dies for Israel. But three days later, he rises in victory and power. The fulfillment of the scriptures, the fulfillment of God's promise to rule and to reign forever and ever over those people. You might say, yeah, we know. We get it. Those darn Pharisees, they are a miserable lot. Shame on them. What does that have to do with me living here and now more than 2,000 years later? Well, it's a warning. It's a warning that the people of God, his vineyard, are not the people of God without Jesus. Simple as that. It is impossible to produce fruit of faith without Jesus because he is the subject and object of our faith. And so Jesus says something interesting, not in Matthew, but in John. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. This is a warning. The church, the rule and reign of God in Christ Jesus is not the true church without Jesus. Seems to make sense. Yet we often despise God's word, Christ's word, calling us to repentance and faith. We can despise God's gifts of word and sacrament, thinking that we don't need them, even though Jesus commands us to and invites us to receive them often so that he may rule and reign among us, so that he may serve us as he wants to do. Seems to make sense, but why do we adopt our own agenda, ideas, platforms, and make the church out what we want to be over and against what Christ has commanded and said? And why can we make it about all about what we're doing rather than what Jesus is doing for us? Or we can make it about what we'd rather be doing than what Jesus is doing. Killing that old Adam, rising us to new life, granting us forgiveness, strengthening our faith, ruling and reigning over us, in us and for us. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, our Lord. We are his body. He is the cornerstone. He is the head. Through him, God has given his vineyard, his people, all that it needs. All that it needs. Christ has secured your salvation through his perfect life, through his cross and his empty tomb, as we mentioned to the kids. And he is here to rule and reign. He is here to break your old sinful Adam to pieces, to crush the work of sin, death and the devil Within you and for you. He has given his word and sacrament, his gifts, so that he might abide with you and for you and in you to eternal life. 
Through these means, he gives you his spirit to live under him according to God's will and ways, not yours. To live under him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. Without Jesus, we do not have the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of God is indeed the rule and reign of God through Jesus. By his gospel and by his established means of grace, he grants faith. He gives the kingdom of God to people producing its fruit. And again, that is the fruit of faith, which looks to God. By his gospel and his established means of grace, he gives the kingdom of God to a people producing its fruits. The fruit of faith, which looks to Christ for all good things, for salvation, through the Spirit's leading, to walk in God's ways, to the glory of God's name. We have to remember that Jesus is not gone. Jesus is not dead. Jesus is not impotent. Jesus is not ruling and reigning. No, by faith we have come to believe and confess and rejoice the fulfillment of Psalm 118. The stone that the builder has rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. So yes, good morning, Israel. Yes, you, God's people, true Israel. God's people, not because of your citizenship in a certain country, but because you look to God, because you look to Christ in faith for all good things. God's people, because you believe Christ's word. God's people, because you truly live under his rule and reign. Christ Jesus, who was broken and crushed for you, but now rules in glory, producing fruit in that vineyard that he loves so deeply. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all human understanding guard your hearts and mind through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.